It is so good to have you with us today. I am glad that you are here. And by the way, if you have traveled uh, into Kansas City today, you're here with family, I want to just say a special welcome to you and welcome to Kansas City and glad that you are with us today. I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, you know, I was thinking about Thanksgiving and of course we uh, at our house on Thanksgiving Day, right before we eat, uh, we go around the room, everybody shares kind of something that they're thankful for. And then uh, we pray, of course, before uh, we eat and having uh, grandsons now that are nine and seven and four and two, uh, you know, they want to participate in the praying and all that kind of thing, which is awesome. Uh, but I was reminded of a little boy that was praying at Thanksgiving one time and he, he thanked God for his mom and his dad and his brother and sister and mom kind of noticed him peeking out making sure he didn't forget anybody who was there with him you know aunts and uncles and he was looking at everybody and thanking God for all of them and then he started in on the food because he could of course see that it was all kind of out there on the table and so he thanked God for the uh, turkey and he thanked him for the stuffing and the potatoes and the pumpkin pie and even the the cool whip and then he looked at his mom and he just whispered very lightly he said mom if I thank God for the broccoli won't he know I'm lying you know and I thought I I think that's really nice that this little boy knows about honest prayer, even at a small age. And so uh, we're going to actually talk about prayer today, and I, so I thought that was a good uh, uh, kind of connection between Thanksgiving and prayer. We're going to finish the book of James today. We've been going through the entire book, and today we'll finish with chapter 5. Uh, and we've been in this ser sermon series that we titled, Faith That Works. Now, I hope you've seen throughout the last few weeks the numerous ways uh, that James has offered us really practical advice so that our faith in Jesus Christ actually works out, like really, really, really works out in real life. You know, it's one of the main reasons that I decided to follow Jesus really seriously in both high school and then got even more serious in college was because I knew quite a few people around me uh, whose faith had really worked out in their real life. Now, I was also surrounded by some people who, who had no faith, and some people whose faith was kind of a Sunday morning thing. Uh, they would go to church, they would be religious, uh, they would pray on Thanksgiving and Easter and, and maybe Christmas, uh, but their, their faith really didn't work out for them in real life. But these few people that I saw actually practicing their faith and, and using it as life went on day by day and, and, and just their faith being intertwined in everything they did really made an incredible impression on me. And so I love the book of James. I love its practicality. Uh, there's just, there's no way that you can feel like, oh my goodness, it's way up here in space. It's all this theology and, and philosophy and I can't understand it. It's just really practical stuff on how to be a good follower of Jesus. And so I hope you have enjoyed it as much uh, as we have. Uh, today we're going to talk about how prayer changes things. Now there are probably, uh, even in this room right now, three camps of people as soon as you see that title come up, there's three, three kind of groups. One is a small minority that really believes prayer changes things. It changes situations. It can make the sick well again. It can make the broken whole again. It can bring comfort to those in physical, emotional, or relational pain. We pray because it actually works. It's something that's real. Now, there's also probably a very small minority here that believe prayer is nothing more than talking to yourself, and it has absolutely no effect on anything in the universe. If there is a God, he isn't listening, and if he's listening, he's certainly not going to do what I ask him or what I want him. But probably the vast majority, uh, which is probably the largest group here, is, is there are people that are really honest. If we were really honest with ourselves, we would say that prayer is something we ought to do because the Bible tells us to. But... We don't really believe God is going to be moved by us asking him something. 
When we've prayed before, nothing really happened. We basically go through the motions, and if circumstances turn out the way we wanted, we give God the credit and, and as though somehow our prayer did something. But we know deep inside it really didn't. There's probably a lot in that group. Now, if you're in group one, you're probably in that group because you've obviously seen God's hand at work. And it has increased your faith. Folks, every time we see God at work, it just increases our faith. You've seen God bring about a job just in the nick of time before a financial catastrophe rained down on your life. I, I, I often, you know, I like word pictures, and I often feel as I uh, go through life that sometimes God is testing me. And, and there's sometimes when I'm leaning out over a cliff, and he's got me. He's hanging onto my belt loop, and I'm leaning way out, and I'm leaning out farther and farther, and I kind of go, oh, you got me, God? Uh, is everything okay back there? And I begin to feel the stitching in my belt loop pop. <laughs> it's like, okay, God, I'm way out here. And then right at the last minute, he draws me back. He, does he do that to you, or is he just testing me? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. He has to get through to you that way. You know, we've, we've seen people healed when the doctors had given no hope. And we've seen lives transformed by the grace and forgiveness of God after years of prayer. Now, if you're in that group, folks, you believe in prayer and you practice it simply because you know that it works. You have seen it. You know it. Perhaps the rest of you just haven't seen it yet or maybe really tried it or been open even to the possibility that it could be more than just talking into the air, but it's really, 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 really real. I hope today's sermon gives you motivation to at least try it and see if God shows up. Now, I want to tell you a story about a, a young man that I went to college with. His name was Russ. And we were sweet mates at college, S-U-I-T-E, mates. And I'll just make sure that I clarify that. Uh, I went to Central Missouri State University back when it was CMSU. And we had these uh, two rooms that are uh, two-bed uh, rooms, and they were connected by a bathroom. And so we were in this kind of suite together. And this young man, Russ, had, uh, uh, had never followed Christ. His, his parents weren't Christians. Um, and I began witnessing to him. And uh, he was open to the possibility, but he said, Michael, how, I just can't buy it. I mean, I just can't, I can't really believe it if I can't see it, if I can't experience it. I mean, I just, it, it's got to be real to me. How do I make it real to me? I mean, I'm open to it, but I just can't, I can't believe in something that's just like, close your eyes and jump off a cliff. I said, well, Russ, and we were actually talking about this when we were walking across campus. I said, Russ, well, the Bible says that uh, if you will surely seek him, you will surely find him. So the fact is, if you seek him with all your heart, if you will really, really, really try to seek him, not just say the words, but really seek him, uh, the Bible says you'll find him. See, he's not trying to hide from us. And so we sat down on a bench right outside. There's a little chapel in the middle of the, of the uh, campus. see some of you smiling. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and there's a few benches on the outside. And we sat down on a bench. And, and I said, Russ, why don't you just pray and say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me somehow. He goes, okay, that's cool, man. And, uh, and so, of course, he's you know, never prayed before. So he's like, okay, hey, God, dude, like, um, you know, if you're real up there and you really love me, like Michael says, and, and you really sent Jesus to die for me, uh, you know, make it real to me. Somehow help me see it. Help me understand it. I don't know what to ask. I just somehow do something so that I get it. And we opened our eyes, and this white bird, no kidding, flew down and, and landed about 10 feet in front of us. He's like, holy cow, isn't that a dove? Doesn't that mean something in the Bible? I'm like, well, I, I think it's a pigeon. But it, it's a white bird. That's pretty close. 
He goes, wow, what is that? And, and now this is really interesting because in that moment, here's a guy who's an unbeliever. He's all freaked out and he's like, God is cool. Look what he's doing. And I'm like, Russ, calm down. It's really, it, may, it may just be a bird. You know, I'm, I'm the one kind of doing this. And, and in that moment, though, that was enough for Russ to go, oh, maybe there's some truth to this. And he began to really seek God. A few weeks later, Russ gave his life to Christ. And he's still serving God today. And his uh, son and daughter are serving Christ. And it's really an exciting uh, transformation of life uh, from just a simple prayer. Folks, I have seen this happen <laughs> hundreds if not thousands of times in my life. I want you to hear the things that James is telling us today so that prayer can be a vital part of your Christian walk. Let's read what it says in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. It says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, before you get all excited and say, hey, I never have to have a rain out again, I'll just pray and it'll, God will stop the rain. Uh, before you get all, all like on that, I want us to talk about the characteristics of effective prayer. Because I think this is really important. Because if we don't understand this, we're not going to understand how the characteristics work out in real life. We see in this passage actually at least three uh, characteristics that we're going to talk about this morning that make prayer effective. But what, uh, what is effective prayer? I think that's important to, us to define. It is not prayer that always ends the way we want. Do you hear me? I want you to hear that. It is not God answering to us or us manipulating him in any way, shape, or form. That's not what it is. It doesn't mean that effective prayer means I'm going to tell God what he needs to do and he's just going to do it. Okay? If that's your definition of prayer, then I don't believe you'll ever see prayer that is effective in your life. Because that definition is just you know, out there. Effective prayer is that we bring our deepest needs and desires to God, praying according to his will. He hears, and then he acts in our best interest. Now, who here always knows exactly what's in their own best interest? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody have a situation in life where it seemed to go all wrong, and then because it went all wrong, it seems to work out all right? Of course. And folks, that's because we are a lot like children. We know what we want, but we don't always know what is in our best interest. Uh, we like to think that we're all grown up now and we always know, but we don't. But see, God, like a loving parent, he knows what's in our best interest. Uh, some, and it sometimes goes against what we want. Listen, if a five-year-old uh, wants a full-blown motorcycle for Christmas, uh, God forbid that I hurt anybody's feelings here. You'd be a crazy person to give it to them, right? You know what's in their best interest. That's not in their best interest. You love them so much you're not going to give them even what they want. Sometimes we want things that are not best for us, and God doesn't give them to us. 
So effective prayer is not getting what we want, but effective prayer does change things. I want you to look at this verse in Psalm 34, 6. Here's what it says. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. I love this verse. Notice it does not say that God gave him what he wanted. In fact, we don't even know what he wanted. It doesn't say that the poor man prayed for cash and God dropped a sack of money on his head. Now, you may want to read it that way, but it doesn't say that. And I think an important part of understanding God's word is really observing what it says, not what we want it to say or what we think that it says. What it does say is that this poor man cried out to God. God heard him. By the way, nothing escapes him. He, he, he gets it all. And then God saved him out of all of his troubles. I love that. I just love that. It doesn't even tell us what his troubles really were. They might not even be financial. He's a, he's a poor man. He cries out to God, and then God answers all his problems. Maybe they were financial. We don't know that. It doesn't tell us how God solved them. It doesn't tell us he wouldn't have future troubles. All it wants us to, to, to hear, folks, is that, listen, when, when things are out of control, you can cry out to God, and he will hear you, and he will come and answer you and bless you, but perhaps not in the way that you thought or that you chose. For me, perhaps one of the greatest examples in my whole life of God answering effective prayer, but not in the way that we had hoped for or expected, was a story of Amir and Kim Yexman. Kim used to go to our church. They, they moved a few months back and no longer uh, go to church here. But, but Kim married a man, uh, Amir, who was from Iran and was a Muslim. And every time I would go to his house, he would say, Oh, Pastor Mark, it's good to see you. He'd always call me Pastor Mark. That's not my name, by the way. Uh, but, but that's what he called me. It was an M, so it was close enough. So I said, oh, and of course they'd correct him and he'd still call me Pastor Mark. I think he knew, but I'm not sure. Uh, he would always tell me, he'd say, he'd say, Pastor Mark, uh, I just want you to know that I am a Muslim. I was born a Muslim. I will die a Muslim. But I like your Jesus. He's a good guy. And I said, well, I, I like the fact that you think he's a good guy, Amir. And we were, we were good, good friends. I mean, we got along just fine. He just made it clear to me that I was born a Muslim, I'm gonna die a Muslim, and you ain't changing that. And as long as I didn't try to change it, uh, we were fine. Now, I shared the gospel with him several times. Uh, but he always would look at me. He would listen kindly. He would say, I, I hear what you're saying. I appreciate that. But I was born a Muslim. I will die a Muslim. I said, all right, Amir. So uh, a few years before he passed away, Amir developed brain cancer. And the type of brain cancer that he got uh, stunted or, or, or made his long-term memory disappear. He had all of his short-term memory. He knew who everybody was. He knew who his relationships were. He knew how to you know, feed himself and take care of himself. What he was losing was his long-term memory. So he was forgetting being raised in Iran. He was forgetting being raised a Muslim. He was forgetting his Muslim heritage and was only moving to new memories. I didn't get to be the one, but... But his cousin got to share the gospel with him and led him to Jesus a few months before he passed away. At his funeral, I shared uh, his conversion to Jesus, and most of his family did not know it yet. It was quite a shock to them. A few weeks after the funeral, Kim came to me and he said, and she said, Michael, 
I'm really struggling with this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm harboring some frustration with God that he gave Amir this cancer and, and, you know, he passed away now. He's gone. And those of you who know me really well, I try really hard, but sometimes my mercy gift is a little lacking. And, and I said, now, Kim, how long had you prayed for Amir? She said, well, almost every single day for 40 years. And then I said this. I said, and, and let me get this straight. So now you're angry with God because he answered your prayer, but in a different way than you wanted? She looked at me in the eye. She goes, I hate it when you do this. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know, I know. But you see, folks, that's not the way she wanted it to work out, but she prayed for his salvation almost every day for 40 years. And God worked it out to answer her prayer. Not the way she wanted, but what she wanted. I just think that's amazing, folks. I mean, that's just a great example of how we pray for things. And and God doesn't do it exactly the way we want or how we think, but he figures it out. And he does it in a way that's really best for everyone. I found that many times I've asked God for things, and he either answers no, because he knows what's in my best interest, or he answers in a way I would have never expected. I've also found that as I grow in my relationship with God, that my prayers have shifted from a list of things that I want to the needs of others that are also more internal than external. Uh, We have a prayer team here, and, and we take prayer requests on the back of your connection card. We accept those every week. And we have a team of people that actually pray for those every single week. And I, and I pray for those, and we actually at our staff meeting every week, we pray through all of the prayer requests that are on uh, the prayer group on the city. But I will, and, I, and I pray for your or physical healing, we pray for your financial situation, we pray for your job situation, but you know what? I find that the vast majority of my prayer time is for people's spiritual lives, it's for people's relational lives, it's for people's emotional healing, it's for things that are way more important uh, then, hey, I'm, I'm having my tonsils out, pray for me. Nothing wrong with that. We, we need to pray for somebody having their tonsils out, okay? But compared to uh, somebody's relationship uh, going down the tubes or uh, uh, you know, somebody uh, being far from God, those are just vastly more important. So as we talk about the characteristics of effective prayer, remember that effective prayer is God doing his thing in our lives because we've somehow invited him into it. We've asked him to do it. We've, we've somehow asked him for something, and now he's deciding to answer us in a way that is beneficial. It is not God doing exactly what we want and, and how we want. Okay? So let's look at the first thing in this passage that it talks about. It says that they prayed, uh, good, effective prayers are always prayed in faith. They're prayed expecting God to act. Now, let me ask you this question. Do we always, when we pray for something, do we always act as though God's going to answer it? Think about that for a minute. It's not something you maybe think about all the time. By the way, faith is an action. It's not a belief. Faith means I believe something strong enough that I act on it. I have faith. So let's, for instance, if we pray for 300 people to come to our Christmas Eve services... Will we set up and borrow enough chairs and provide video overflow to accommodate 300, or will we just set up 160 chairs? See, we pray for 300, but we act as only 160 are going to show up. We're not really praying in faith. We're praying in words. But if we 
pray in faith, we'll pray for 300 and we'll set up for 300. Maybe only 275 will come. But we will pray in faith because our actions have to support what we pray for. If we pray but don't prepare, you know, we're just, we're just talking. Remember what James said in chapter 1 about praying for wisdom, asking God for wisdom? He said, do it expecting God to give it. He said, but let him ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded in all of his ways. What he's saying is, folks, if you pray and you don't expect God to answer, you might as well just be out on the, on the ocean, just going back and forth with the waves, letting everything in life move you. But instead, we should pray expecting God to do great things. The next thing we see as a characteristic of effective prayer is that they're always prayed by the righteous. Jesus says, or James says, that a prayer prayed by a righteous person will have great, great power while it is working. Now, this doesn't mean that God will only answer when we haven't sinned in the last 40 or 90 days, when we're kind of righteous. Doesn't mean that he only answers the perfect. Okay? What it does mean is that we must be, be in a perfect relationship with him, and he sees us as righteous. That's why it's important for us to confess our sins and our sinfulness before we pray or as we begin praying. It's important for us to stand uh, in a righteous position with God before we ask him to accomplish something. Only those who've given their lives to Jesus and become his followers can be seen as righteous. Not because we are righteous, but because Jesus' blood washes our sins away. You know, Billy Graham took a lot of heat one time when he declared one, once that only prayer, the only prayer that God hears from a person who's far from God is a prayer uh, uh, of, of repentance and acceptance of salvation. And the reason is, folks, because they're not in a relationship with God. We, we've got to get this. I hear us say things and think things and, and discuss things and communicate things that simply aren't true in, in theological terms. We are not all children of God. We are all the creation of God, but we are not the children of God. Only those who have given their lives to God through his son Jesus Christ, who have put their faith and trust in what he did on the cross uh, to pay for their sins, only those people have God as their father. And, and we say things sometimes that kind of insinuate we're all of the same, well, we're all the same human family, okay? But, but those of us who've given our lives to Christ, we have a different father than those who have not. And so uh, only when we've given our lives to Christ and we come to him and we acknowledge our sinfulness, we, we confess our sins to him, and by the way, it says in this passage to confess your sins one to another. That doesn't mean to go up to somebody at church before you leave and vomit out all your sins on them and tell them all the terrible things you've done in the last year, okay? What it does mean is if you have, if you have uh, uh, done somebody wrong, you should go and make it right. You should confess your sin to them. And by the way, if you haven't heard this before, you haven't written this down, you need to write it down. There are three parts of that. You go to somebody and you say, listen, I was wrong. I'm sorry. 
please forgive me. Those three things are important. I was wrong because I did this thing. Be very specific. I was wrong because I was mean to you. I'm terribly sorry for acting that way. And I beg for your forgiveness. I, I ask you to forgive me. And if we are Christians, as we say we are, we will always respond with, I forgive you. And do it. <laughs> and really do it. Okay? So, so we have to be in a right standing with God for our prayers to be heard and for God to act on our behalf. And then finally, we see in this passage that they are prayed fervently. Fervently. Now, what does that mean, fervently? Let me ask you this. When is the last time you prayed every single day about a particular topic for more than just a minute? Now, uh, those of you who know me know I'm a busy guy, doing a lot of stuff. Uh, but I have on my phone prayer lists. And I have some for just one day a week, ministries that I pray for uh, only on Monday or only on Tuesday. I can't pray for everything on every list every day or I would do nothing literally but pray. But I have a daily prayer list that I pray for. And my wife is on it, my kids are on it, my grandkids are on it. I don't pray for you every single day, but I pray for you. Okay, but I'll tell you, I pray fervently for the salvation of my grandsons. They are now nine, seven, four, and two. And I desperately, desperately, desperately want them to come to know Jesus. Have you prayed weeks, months, even maybe years for God to break through to someone's hard heart and, and call them loud enough that they might actually turn from their life of self? to the one true God and his son, Jesus Christ? Have you done that? You see, a fervent prayer is prayed from a deep and honest place. It's not just lip service. It's full of passion. I think of a posture where we are almost on the floor begging, begging for God to intervene. It's a place of desperation, not because necessarily our situation is desperate, but because we are desperately in need of God's intervention to, to, to accomplish something. <laughs> Listen, I desperately, desperately want my grandsons to come to know Jesus. My kids know Jesus. I, I desperately, desperately want them all to come to know Jesus. Now let me, let me ask those of you who have children, you'll, you'll connect with this uh, word picture. Uh, if your kid comes up to you and says... Um, Hey, listen, Mom and Dad, I want to go to Worlds of Fun. And you go, okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it tomorrow, okay? I don't have time to talk about it right now. We'll talk about it tomorrow. And then they never come back to you. You probably will not make any arrangements to take them to Worlds of Fun. It was a fleeting thought. It was a, a fleeting, uh, uh, you know, moment of the fact that it was in their minds and they wanted to express it. They don't really want it that bad. They said it one time. They never bring it up again. Chances are, you're probably not going to do that for them. But if they come and ask you very politely, hey, can we go to Worlds of Fun? You say, hey, let's talk about it tomorrow. I don't have time to talk about it today. And the next day, they wake up and they come right to you and say, hey, you said we could talk about Worlds of Fun today. Can we go? Say, um, let me think about it. Okay, let me think about it, and we'll talk about it later. Okay. So the next day, they come to you, hey, have you thought about it? Have you been thinking about it? Can we go? Can we go? Okay, I've thought about it. Now I need to pray about it. Uh, come back tomorrow. <laughs> and you keep putting them off, and they keep coming day by day by day by day. At some point, uh, we, even as sinful parents, 
go, man, they really want this. They really, I, I want to I give this to them. This is not bad for them. This is not in any way harmful to them. I want to do this for them because I love them. In fact, sometimes we give in to our children in that way just kind of to, let's just be honest, really kind of to shut them up, don't we? Just, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I'll take you already. Okay? Now listen, while I'm not saying that we can ever force God's hand, I'm not saying, I'll, I'll make that disclaimer 10 times today. I'm not saying that we can force, but have you ever asked God for something so often and so consistent that he almost just wants to give it to you because he loves you? Or do we give up too easily? Do we give up too easily? Do we quit too soon? Are our prayers more fleeting thoughts than they are really fervent desires of the heart? I'm just fine if God reaches down and saves my grandsons just to shut me up. I am fine with that. I'm not sure it works that way. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, I, God forbid that they might not come to know him because I didn't pray enough. Wow. Folks, we have to be fervent about the things that are really important in life. And as you pray more and more and more and more, you're going to stop asking for a new car. You're going to stop asking for a new house. You're going to stop asking for all of the, the material things of life. You're going to start asking for people's eternal souls. You're going to start asking for relationships to be healed. You're going to start asking for the things that matter in both long term in this life and in eternity. And I think it's interesting. We're going to look now at the last two verses of James. Right after he tells us how God effectively answers our prayers, prayed with the right heart and in the right way, this is what he says. In verses 19 and 20, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow. Folks, we have to be messengers of God's forgiveness to both the lost, those who are far from God still, who have not crossed over the line of faith, and those who are wandering children, those who have, have come and been a part of, of the kingdom of God, been a part of the family of God, and for whatever reason, almost always their own pride and selfishness, they have wandered away, wandered away from the family of God or even from the faith. We must be the messengers of God's forgiveness. And I think it's interesting that he puts these two ideas together in this passage. I'm reminded of the song by Matthew West. You've probably heard it if you listen to Christian radio called Do Something. Here's the first verse in the chorus. It says this, I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now. Thought, how do we ever get so far down? How's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and I said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. If not us, then who? If not me and you right now, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when will we see an end to all this pain? It's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. 
So right after James has talked about prayer, he ends with these statements that if we turn back a sinner to God, we have saved their soul from, from death and a multitude of sins will be forgiven. Now James is not saying that a person's salvation is determined by their working. We know, and we've already studied this through James, uh, it's clear that James also believes and teaches that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. But we also saw uh, that a person's works are the best evidence of their spiritual position. They're the best tell, if you will. And so what he's saying is, uh, you know, look, think about it this way. Nobody can read anybody else's heart. You just can't. All right? Nobody knows with 100% certainty the eternal destination of any other person. Although their works in their life certainly are pretty good giveaways. What he's saying here is, listen, when somebody turns away from the faith and you go and get them and you bring them back, I don't know whether they were pretending in the beginning and they weren't ever saved, they weren't ever really connected to Christ, or whether they were and they just turned their back on him for a while. and went. It doesn't matter where they were. The point is, if you go get them and bring them back, they're back in the right position. They're back in right standing with God. So if you have fervently, faithfully, righteously prayed for your loved ones, are you also sharing the gospel with them at every turn? Are you also talking to them about Jesus? Are you talking to them about the things that you're praying for? You know, I can pray for my neighbors who've lost their job, but I can also be the answer to my own prayer by providing them with groceries. I can be the answer to my own prayer by paying their electric bill. You and I can be the answer to our own prayers many of the times because God has decided to use us as his agents in the world. You know, rarely does a person give their life to Jesus without a personal witness of some kind. I, and I know there's occasionally somebody that goes to a hotel. Uh, they're just, you know, they go to open the, the, the little nightstand there. They pull out a Gideon Bible. They say, I'm just going to turn to somewhere and read. They turn to John 3. And they read how to be born again, and they give their life to Jesus. I know that that happens. I know God works that way. But the vast majority of the people in this room who know Jesus, somebody told you about him. Somebody told you about him. Folks, it's not enough for us just to pray our guts out for people. We have to speak up, too. We have to tell them that God loves them, too. And by the way, the church is, is really pretty good overall at reaching out to people who don't know Christ, but we're really not very good sometimes at inviting people back to a relationship with God. You know, we're okay with the people who've never tasted what it's like to be a part of the family of God. But for people who've tasted it, who've experienced it, and then they go off on their own, we sometimes aren't very welcoming to them coming back. We ought to be. We ought to be. It could be us next. Okay, before we get too prideful, could be us wanting somebody to invite us back next. Listen, it's also important for us to realize that no one is too far for God's forgiveness to reach them. Whether they are uh, never connected to God or whether they have been and they've walked away. 
Nobody is too far. I used to work with a man named Dave. Dave was a good old boy, and, and uh, he was quite a character, and we had a lot of fun together as we worked. He knew I was a committed Christian. He was definitely a committed unchristian, non-Christian. And uh, he was committed as I was, just to the other side. And uh, we had a little bit of friendly banter, and he, was, he would tease me, but in a, I don't know if I, in a really kind, loving way. He would tease me about being a Christian. Uh, never mean-spirited or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and I, I witnessed him several times, but he told me things and said, hey, that's fine for you. If it works for you, great. It's not working for me. Never going to work for me. Leave me alone. And there came a time when I just like, okay, all right, Dave, if that's what you want. I'll just leave you alone. Stop praying for him. Stop talking to him about Jesus. Really kind of, I don't know if I consciously did it, but kind of subconsciously in my mind thought, Dave's made his choice. I can't do anything about it. And then after I switched jobs, it was just a couple of years later that I heard that Dave had been killed in a boating accident. I will go to my grave wondering if I gave up too early. Should I have prayed more fervently? Should I have talked more consistently? Should I have prayed for him like I do my grandsons or other things? Folks, nobody is so far from God's forgiveness that he can't reach down and touch them. We should never give up on anyone in our hearts and our minds until they are in eternity. At that point, it's, it's settled. But we should never, never give up on anyone. And God wants to use us as his agents. I don't know why. I think about that plan and I'm like, God, you couldn't come up with something better than that? Really? You're going to use knuckleheads like me to be your agents in the world of your love and your grace and your mercy? I mess things up a lot. But that's his plan, folks. We're, we're his best plan for reaching the rest of the world and for drawing people back to the kingdom of God. So I hope today, as we finish the book of James, you will feel like this has been a great study for you. It's been a great series of real practical things that you can put into practice in your life, in your spiritual walk right now. All of the sermons uh, are on the, uh, our website at fogkc.com. You can go back there and listen to any of them, including today's after uh, probably Monday or Tuesday. And folks, I, I want you to go back and listen to them at times and, and think about these things because they're so easy to put into practice in our lives. But I hope today specifically, you walk away from today's service and you go, I, I just need to pray better. I just need to pray more. I need to pray more seriously, more fervently. I need to pray for more eternal things. I just need to be connected to God in a deeper way. And by the way, we are here to help you do that. That's, that's why we're here. We're here to help you do that. And so if there's anything that we can do, even if you don't know what it is, if you're here today and you'd say, hey, Pastor Michael, I, I want to be more connected to God. I just don't know how to do that. Take out one of those connection cards and write on it, I don't know how to do that. And we'll take it. We'll call you. We'll get together over coffee or soda and, and we'll talk about it. Because we want to help you get more connected to God and to get connected to others the way God intends. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It guides us and leads us and teaches us so much. 
Father, we're so thankful for the way that you inspired James 2,000 years ago to write this letter. We're so grateful that you have protected it throughout history to give it to us today and to just allow us to hold it in our hands. Father, we pray that you would help us to spend more time fervently praying. We'd spend more time being honest and just sharing our hearts. God, I pray that you would even cause uh, things to bother us more. Uh, the sin in the world, uh, the sin in our own lives, uh, the, the people around us who don't know you and will be separated from you forever if they don't turn to you. God, help us not to just sweep that under the rug or to pretend like it doesn't exist, but make it nod our hearts so that we will come to you and talk to you and fervently pray and ask for you to intervene, not on our behalf, but on your behalf, on their behalf. God, use us in a great way. We are here. We are here to be used by you. We want to be a significant part of your kingdom. And God, we know that you have chosen to use us. And so we give ourselves up to you. We yield to you. And we say, God, use us in whatever way you want, whatever way pleases you most. We are so thankful that we can communicate with you, and we are thankful that you've given us that opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.